a.k.a. podcasting from spare bedrooms across suburban and exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. We will challenge your assumptions and ours, too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves. So join us as we examine a crossroads of science and stupidity from the secular perspective. And remember, don't believe everything you hear in this podcast or anywhere else for that matter until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go that shit. Jeff, feeling spicy open there. That's good. Ad-libbing. We didn't leave it all on the pre-talk before we hit record. Episode 66. One character away from the Mark of the Beast on the National Day of Prayer. Ooh. I was thinking that. One six too short. Yes, and before we get started with that weirdness, this is a great time to say, hey, give us five stars, leave us a rating, so we don't have to do it at the end of the show. Or, if you like or don't like it, Twitter, Facebook, godlessheathens at yahoo.com. Twitter is Godless Podcast. I've been off Twitter this week, or as much as I, I usually am. I don't know what Jimmy the Salty Intern's been doing. I have an idea. Not too much. Even Jimmy is less salty these days. Quarantine's got him down. <laughs> It's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to keep up with everything. So I'm going to go first on the beer because I know you're going to make fun of me. What do you got? I have... He's got fudge? A beer... (laughs) It does not. (laughs) You'll never guess what this beer has. Well, is it a stout or an IPA? It's a double dry hopped buckwheat baklava imperial IPA with pistachios and almonds. Oh my goodness. It is called Vanitas and is from Omnipolo Brewery. And I've heard of it. it is pretty good. Even though, I mean, buckwheat baklava. It isn't, you wouldn't have what's, guessed that yeah, in a million years. Yeah, what state is, is doing baklava and pistachios and almonds? Who, who makes this concoction? Where's this from? Bayshore, New York, which sounds like it's in Long Island. So, where do you find this stuff? I got this at Hop City in West End. If you're ever in Atlanta, stop by Hop City, 40 Taps, best beer store in town. Well, one of them. Well, what are you drinking, Jeff? So, Katie cleaned out the refrigerator because we had to make more room for my beer run that I did today. So, I found something in the back I forgot about. It's from Dry County. It's a Chuckling Monk, which is a Belgian strong ale that was put into some oak whiskey casks at the end. It's um, pretty good. 9%, 9%, so I may see you later. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I decided to go with a beer tonight as well, too, and all I got in the house is Long Day Lager and a Yingling. So I went with the Long Day Lager because I know Jerry would give me a hard time about drinking Trump beer. May read a beer. It's a good one. We're going to start with something that is very much of the moment, affecting 
a lot of people, a topic that probably will affect everyone, unfortunately, as this pandemic continues. Jeff, your dad passed away recently, and you did an online Zoom funeral, which I can only imagine would be all kinds of weird. A situation where emotions were already up and down and processing, and then you process it through a computer screen, or did you do it through your phone? No, no, I I was in front of my computer screen, my desktop. I wanted to have the maximum screen. But to back up, the other strange part of this for us is my dad took a turn fairly quickly, went downhill. This is going back a couple of weeks now, and he had to go into the hospital. It was kind of assumed that he was going to be going down pretty quickly. You know, of course, during this time, we couldn't hop on a plane and go down there for his final days. Who's going to get on a plane? Where are you going to stay? So it's impossible to even do that. So the hospital, I think this is the first time they had done it too. The hospital did a Zoom with us where we could have our last words with them. So that was the first extremely out-of-body experience. So I have a brother and a sister. And so we were all on that Zoom call with a nurse holding a laptop by my dad. I don't know how much my dad was processing of that, how much got through. But, I mean, that was just the strangest experience for us kids. When my mom passed away in, I think it was in 2008, we were able to get there and were with her, held her hand while she was dying. We were all down there for the funeral, all that kind of stuff. So to go from the traditional process dying and then the funeral and all that kind of stuff to this Zoom experience was just surreal. I mean, I I thank goodness that we were at least able to see him and talk to him better than, than not. I will say that, but it was still so difficult to you know, experience his, his dying moments that way. So even though it wasn't directly COVID-related, right. everything about it is... The COVID experience. Absolutely. Because even if he was down the street from you, you wouldn't be able to get in. Right. You wouldn't be able to see him. Right. So it's not just COVID patients and their families that are experiencing this. It's anybody that's in the hospital or is dying or whatever. They're experiencing this very same thing. You know, the other surreal part was then in the in the, you know, the next days after that, we had to do a Zoom with the funeral home and make the arrangements pick out the casket, the vault, flowers. If you're doing that in person with other family members, that's part of the grieving process as well. But to have somebody carrying around a laptop showing you these different caskets and things, it just totally messes with your mind. I I don't know how to describe it. It's better than, uh, you know, not having any any options or anything like that. But, um, But it's still, you know, such a... I don't know if we've we finally you know figured out how we feel about all that. And then on Monday is when they did the interment. Same thing there. That was done by the funeral home via Zoom. Now we decided all three of us kids that we weren't going to have our pictures and stuff on the uh, the screen. You know, like a lot of Zoom things are. So we were on mute, video off. We just kind of figured ahead of time that would be the best way to do that. So you kind of had to think about the technology. Yes. A couple of different ways. Yeah. 
and then ask them to record it because our kids wanted to also, I'm not sure if they really do or not. I mean, from what we experienced, I don't know if I'd recommend it or not to them. You know, rather than have 10 or so people try to jump on, we said we'll have them record it and we can send the link to them later. But the thing that was most difficult, I think, about that little mini funeral First of all, they had a pastor there. My dad's a very strong Christian, and my sister and brother are Christians as well. And so they had a pastor do a little eulogy, I guess you call it. And it was touching. I mean, you know, my sister touched on a lot of the neat things that my dad did during his life. So, I mean, which is what us atheists kind of cling on to is the fullness of life. But it just didn't seem real. I don't know else how, how, how to describe it. It's just... No, because one thing about being at a funeral or a memorial service is the dread or particularly if you're going to speak or I don't know about you guys. When I go to a funeral, they give somebody an opportunity to speak because I don't always want to speak, but there are times when I definitely do and I go both ways on it. I think about what I'm going to say down to like bullet points or I'm sitting there and somebody is speaking and I'm half listening to them. And in my head, I'm like, yep, I'm going up next. Not sure what I'm going to say. You know, and I know what I'm going to say. I'm just going to say what is straight from the heart. When you're there, it makes it maybe more real. But like for you, the view never changed. You went downstairs or wherever your computer is. And then when you were done, you turn off the computer and you probably take this deep breath and like turn around and you're in the same spot. Right. Yeah. You're not walking in the freshly mowed grass of a memorial garden. It's almost like you're given a lot less time to process. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about the normal funeral experience. If this wasn't going on, you're talking about days over a long weekend or something like that where family comes by, but it's not all at once. And it's over an hour and a half. It's over the course of days. And there's little moments here that you that you share with with this relative and that relative that you don't get in this type of a situation. Right. Yeah. Because like my mom's funeral, we had all of that. They live in Arizona. So everybody had to fly down there, aunts and uncles and grandkids. And so, yeah, I mean, after the funeral, first of all, when the when the funeral was going on, everybody could hug and cry together. And then afterwards, you shared the stories and you laughed together, which is another part of grieving. Yeah. You sat around and broke balls and told stories and, and all that. And, and that was part of the grieving process. Well, yeah, I was going to say the other shame of this was at least I had my wife to hug and cry with. My sister has her husband to do that. My brother is sitting up in a cabin on a lake up in Minnesota because everybody has to be isolated. You know, so he's watching this all alone. Now, we did a three-way call afterwards to kind of process and talk, and that was super helpful to to at least do that part, kind of share our thoughts. And, and yeah, all of us said it was just surreal and... And we all decided that when it's safe to fly and travel again, we do want to go down there and have our own kind of a celebration ceremony kind of thing. So, you know, we will do that. But, I mean, you have to kind of put all that stuff on ice until that can happen. And who knows when that's going to be. So the whole call was choreographed like a regular service, but just kind of adapted for online? Yeah, I don't know how many of these they've done thus far. That would be an interesting thing to find out. They were pretty much organized as far as the shots they would do and the, the sequence and all that kind of thing up until where they lowered the 
you know, the vault into the ground and all that. The, the funny part, we all kind of agreed at the end. This guy, there was a guy, I guess it was kind of like in charge of it, standing off to the side. You didn't see him till the end. And he looked like Dan Aykroyd in the Blues Brothers. I mean, the sunglasses and the dark suit. And this concludes the service. <laughs> so he's just like, bow, bow, bow. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> <laughs> so we all chuckled about that. But yeah, it was, um, you know, it was very dignified. I will say they did a good job, you know, making it as dignified as you can on a, a Zoom. It's funny, the the one positive, the one pro that, that immediately came to mind, you didn't even get to have because I was thinking from the angle of what about all the relatives that you would not have seen if you'd have gone to a, an actual funeral in Arizona, a relative in wherever that couldn't could not have made the trip, but you were able to interact with them online, but not if you limited to just a handful of people and then made a video that got that sent out to everybody else, then then that didn't even get to take place. Well, we wanted to, you know, like I say, we wanted to kind of limit the confusion because you don't want people kind of popping in, forgetting to turn off their video, forgetting to turn off their mic. So we just wanted it to be us three kids. That's another thing about technology is you want everybody on there to take it at the same level of seriousness. You got to show up on time and, and not necessarily everybody would. You can't have a kid running into the room 15 minutes into it and screaming, Mom, can I have a popsicle? Dogs barking. It's almost like you have to have like different levels when you connect to the site. If somebody's going to speak or somebody's like immediate family, then they're in a certain tier and everybody else is in a, we can't even hear you if you want to say something tier. I wonder if you could do that. I don't see why you couldn't. Here's a link and these people log on and they are automatically muted and there's nothing they can do about it. And they, that's the only link they have. So. so, Jeff, how atheist were you in your mind versus what you said during that ceremony? Was that difficult? During which, which ceremony are you talking about? During the internment. I didn't speak during that. I mean, that was just strictly a viewing thing. Oh, nobody said anything. No, we just viewed, like I say, there was a pastor that did the eulogy. So it was just, an, you know, we were just witnessing that process. So he spoke on behalf of the religious side of the family. We could have all participated in, in the writing of it, but my sister was a journalist. I mean, she's got a good writing capability and all that kind of thing. And so, and I knew that what she was going to do was, you know, kind of speak about his life. Now, the pastor took it upon himself. Well, and my dad, since he was religious, he would have wanted some religious, you know, readings and, you know, from the Bible and things like that. But the part that I connected to was talking about his life, the amazing different things he's done during his life, which until you kind of look back, it's kind of like it's a wonderful life until you really look back and reflect what the movie I'm talking about. So that that part of it, you know, any atheist can connect to that because to me, I don't believe in an afterlife. I believe that this life you have to live to the full because it's all you have, you know, where, where as an atheist, I focused on stuff that, that made sense to me and I kind of tuned out I mean, I didn't tune out completely because, you know, I'm a, I'm a former Christian, so I understand value in the scripture readings that people do at these kind of things. At my mom's funeral when I was still a Christian, that stuff made sense to me. It wasn't difficult. I didn't like squirm in my seat when I heard the scripture readings. Yeah, because even if you did, you're supposed to shut up during it. The atheist. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of considered... It's not the place. Right, well... Yeah. 
Now, if, if if it was a different situation, if your dad was a staunch atheist and your sister was a religious one and got the preacher in there saying all this stuff, then you could you know speak on your dad's behalf or something along those lines. But not not in this particular situation. No, the, the, not the time, not the place. Most funerals you want to form around the deceased wishes, so you kind of grin and bear it if they're different views than your own. On, on either case, if it's an you know, an atheist funeral and there's religious people there, they're the ones that should suck it up. That, that stuff is all fine. I understand that. The only, the, I mean, the only other thing is uh, I've not had a chance to, and not, I'm not quite sure how to do this or when the appropriate time is, is I'm the elephant in the room on the grieving process for us three kids. In other words, their belief is he's in a better place and he's with my mom in heaven. And, you know, I'm not going to undermine that whatsoever. So I have to kind of walk softly when when they start bringing that up. But at the same time, we've never had a conversation about, hey, Jeff, how are you processing this? I understand you don't believe in an afterlife. So how are you grieving or dealing with this? Do you think that conversation will take place? I'm thinking that was that would be a conversation you'd probably want to have in person rather than on a phone because you want to get all the body language and all that kind of stuff involved. But I mean, if they were to ask me on the phone, you know, I would definitely tell them how I'm processing it. Do you think that's something that they would even think about asking you? Yeah, I would say my sister is kind of a curious type. Like I say, she started out being a journalist, so she's that kind of inquisitive kind of thing. We've had discussions on that before, but they've been, you start the conversation, you go in for a little bit, and then you, then you, back off because it's she's not a conservative she's a, a Methodist they're definitely more the conservative side of the main lines but she's not an evangelical so you know I'm not sure where she is on heaven and hell I mean I know she believes in the heaven I'm not quite sure you know if she thinks I'm going to hell or not and my brother is, is kind of a Catholic light those are called Lutherans well yeah I mean he's he's Catholic he goes to Catholic church I'm not sure how often all that kind of stuff but so he's basically most American Catholics. Yeah. He yeah. sounds like a very average Catholic. Right down the middle Catholic. <laughs> yeah. I was Catholicish yeah. for a while. Well, did you believe in hell when you were Catholicish? Uh, yeah, until I was about 15. And hell was one of the things that set me off on the atheist highway. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of hell. Like my friend over here, that's you know not a Catholic. He's going there. That kind of a thought process. No, like in Catholic school, you're talking about all these godly concepts, but there's also a place that you're gonna burn for all of eternity. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That doesn't sound like a a religion I want to get behind. Oh, wait a minute. I don't even think I want to be behind a religion. Because they all kind of believe in hell. And that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Love me or I'll burn you forever is more like an abusive relationship. (laughs) So I guess my point there was, you know, I doubt that my brother or sister would think I'm going to hell. I think they would kind of figure a way to figure that out. But like I say, it's just I have to process it on a whole different level than, well, not on a whole lot, a whole different level, because they also are are looking back on his life and are grateful for the long life he had. So, I mean, they have that atheist part too, (laughs) or secular part, I guess. So it's just, you know, they're adding that little icing on the cake that 
if I were to pick their brains on, I would say, okay, so legally, when he died, he was still legally married to his third wife. Long story behind that. So in heaven, when she dies, is there going to be a conflict between my mom and, and her? Jeff, it's not the time for that. I... <laughs> when is the time for it? Never. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I, when I started thinking about heaven, just like you thought about hell, Jerry, it's like when I started thinking about heaven, is there's a whole lot of things I don't like about forever. And what am I going to do? Do I have to sing? So I don't like singing. Which you is going to be there. Right. Yeah. Is it going to be the young you with your grandmother or is your, you're going to be the grandfather there right. to your grandchildren? Right. Because if everybody is like, eight, somebody was, I remember one of the uh, the theories is you're going to be like 33 years old, like when Jesus died. Oh, they, everybody's 33. Yeah. It's like, so what if you didn't have a kid when you were 33? Is your kid going to recognize you? All kinds of questions there. So really like funerals bring out classic atheist retorts on hell and on the complications of, so if somebody was married three times, are they sitting on three clouds with each <laughs> wife? Or do they have to pick one and the other two are okay with it? Like, how does that work? How do you, right. how do you, spend, how do you spend eternity like that? Well, and especially his second wife was a total ass. So I hope he didn't have to hang out with her at all. Do you still pay for your sins and mistakes in heaven? Or every, every dumb purgatory. thing you did or every bad relationship you were in? Like, we forget those parts up in heaven. Oh, could you imagine? You got to spend a third of eternity with that bitch you <laughs> think you finally got away from. <laughs> There, and by the way, there is no third of eternity. So <laughs> then the so if you died at age seventy four, when you enter heaven, do you get to pick who you are? You know, like I thought I looked really good at forty two. Like forty two was one of my better years. Or are you like eighteen and could eat cheeseburgers all day? I was never one of those types. Do you, do you get to pick your body? And when you're there, do you adopt a 17-year-old self? Like, that would be awful. No, I wouldn't want that. Or are you the are you the person you were when you died? So if you picked, like, your, the 20-year-old you with your 75-year-old mind, you're going to be weird. You're going to be strange. People are, people are not going to want to, like, be on a cloud with you. Yeah, get off my cloud, sonny. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The hot, young, angry old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These religious rituals kind of bring out the, the reasons why you kind of became an atheist. It does. You're right. I mean, it kind of makes you reflect back on why that kind of stuff doesn't make sense. It did at one time, but it certainly doesn't know. But, but the thing that does make sense is living a full life where, where you interact with others, you change other people's lives along the way. So again, I go back to the, the Jimmy Stewart movie. That's what it's about. And if there's an afterlife that we're forced into because we got it wrong, whatever. Well, it takes a funeral, though, sometimes, you know, or other religious ceremonies to make you challenge that assertion, because that is the one, hey, what if we're wrong? What are you going to do? I mean, the the other classic atheist retort is, hey, I'll just repent all my sins right at the, right at the end. And really, at that time, <laughs> I will mean it. I will really mean it. I will be yeah. I will be the most I will be newly converted and the newly converted preach the hardest. That's going to be me up there. 
if that's what happens when you die, I'm going to go up there and say, I really thought it wasn't true. I believe it now. And every shitty thing I did, I am desperately sorry for from the bottom of my heart. And you know it's true because you can see through me. So let me in. Where's my cloud? Then you would think that, that this, this God would also see that, hey, we're open to proof, to evidence, but you sent these people that had all these idiotic ideas. <laughs> right. I, I, I would so. stick to my version. <laughs> Your, <laughs> yours is a little more negative. Uh, you, see, you see the floor dropping out. And... <laughs> I do. Now you can, now now he's going to look down Listen the hall. Okay? Now you're going to see hell, bitch. What percent are you as far as the existence of heaven? Let's forget about hell, but heaven. Is it like a 99.9 or are you 100% convinced that there is nothing after this? There's only one way to know for sure. Right. All indications lead to no is, is uh, where I would stand. I would agree with you. I would say I'm 100% on all of the descriptions from every religion I've ever heard. I'm 100% sure that none of those exist. Now, if there is something and you want to call it heaven, then okay. But the heaven that is described by most religions is big time atheist rabbit hole here. But they're all culturally connected to the group that believes in it, you know, amazingly. So there's a million different kinds of heaven or where you go meet the great power or the gods. You know, it's different everywhere. All of those, 100%, they are all wrong. Now, if you die and you become part of the Crab Nebula or something, you want to call that heaven, you know, maybe, but you can't go to something that you can't imagine and then claim it as heaven. Andy Stanley's not going to be meeting me at the door going, hey, that heaven, this is it. Told you, bitch. And I'd be like, where's Jesus? He's in a different part of heaven. It's a long way away. We may never make it, but trust us, he built all of this. <laughs> trust me. So if you want to call that heaven, maybe. But no. What do you think? I think it'd be funny if the American Indians were right and there's a bunch of pissed off Christians in the happy hunting lands right now. <laughs> then you know what? That could be their heaven. Jeff, what do you believe? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much 99.9999999 to infinity percent certain that there is no afterlife or hell of this experience. I mean, you know, of, of this person that I am now. The only thing I, I, I sometimes when I when I get a good buzz going on contemplate <laughs> is and it's not reincarnation, but it's how we were came into existence and all that kind of thing. You know, how our brains created this. So you're done with afterlife. Now you're talking about before life. Well, I'm talking about lives. <laughs> what if these same kind of things come together and this brain comes together and I'm having the same experience, but I'll never know about a previous life. I'll never know about a past life. You know what I'm saying? Deep, man. Maybe this beer is hitting me, man. Yeah. This monk, this monk beer. Right. What, what, what was the ABV in that again? Yeah. That's a 9%er, <laughs> and it's a 32-ounce uh, Prowler. So. Oh. Oh. Hmm. So you were definitely prepping for the first part of this conversation. Definitely. Let me ask you, going back to that a little bit, you think that this could become, not necessarily to replace funerals, but as... And not even as an alternative, but as an add-on to the regular funeral for the like for people who can't attend. I just want to congratulate you for channeling the funeral industrial complex. <laughs> <laughs> 
because that is exactly what they would do. Not only is it going to become a part of all of the packages, if you really didn't care for your father, we have the basic package here, but we have the <laughs> platinum here, which involves a full three camera Facebook live video for everybody who can't show up. Obviously, I exaggerate. No, you don't. <laughs> I hope I, I hope I'm exaggerating what I don't want and I would not do or want to put anyone through is make them do two freaking funerals. You do one in person, and then you got to do the remote one. And if you don't do the remote one, the people that can't make it kind of feel left out. Funerals are, to me, are grueling. But when you're really involved in a funeral, it's a relief that it's over and that you actually have time to not think about setting up a funeral. Because when my dad died, it was a blur of work. My mom did a lot of it, but I was involved in all the decisions and helped her make a few. And it was freaking exhausting, just mentally, you know, and you, you don't have any time to actually grieve. And when you're at the, you're at the service, there's like a relief. And then it's like, oh, okay, you know, what, you know, how long is it going to take everybody to get to the hall for the lunch? And I don't want to do it that way. If for mine, it feels unnatural. I want to grieve. I want some space to grieve. It's like all of a sudden you're an event planner. Big time. You know, we talked about earlier, standing around and BSing with people and, and joking and hearing stories that you may never heard of, you know, that kind of, you know, now the a little bit of relief and people can kind of let their guard down. And usually they say, you know, it was a great sermon and really loved your dad. And he talked about his kids. I mean, just all that kind of stuff that kind of refills your soul. But you don't get that. Was your post-internment call the air out of the balloon kind of? Or were you still kind of on when you were on the phone? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is we we're coming out of that experience that was surreal. So we, there was two things that went on during that call, best I can recall, is that we were processing the experience and having to kind of unpack how we all felt about it. But then once that conversation was over, then we started talking about the stories of growing up, their mom and dad, and all the good times we had. We talked about the stupid boat my dad bought, uh, almost sunk in Lake Superior, and, and how we got sunburned going water skiing. You know, so we, we relived a lot of the neat stories that you would normally do after the funeral when you're all together, you know, drinking beer and stuff. So there was a two-part to it. But then the thing is, you know, that experience is, is still kind of hanging over you, kind of like a cloud that we really haven't grieved together. We've done it digitally, but we've not done it humanly. That's what we still are kind of holding out for. Yeah, and it feels like that once people feel comfortable traveling again, that's going to be a big reason people are traveling, like in 18 months or two years or something. I mean, you know, some people are going to do it. The way social distancing has become another way of expressing your politics, traveling might be the same. Personally, I can't see myself getting on a plane for at least a year. I don't care if I have a mask or not. Yeah, not unless they change stuff. I don't see it. And I think there's a lot of people out there that would be like, you're a moron. It may be dangerous, but we're not going to get it. We can't close the economy, and I want to travel. 
you're just a, you know, pussy liberal. Suck it up, Snowflake. A little bit. The, it, it has adopted the kind of worst slurs of the culture war. You know, you can apply them, but I could see why you'd want to kind of close the loop because it feels like something's unfinished. It is, definitely, definitely. And that's the thing is, is you know, even if it got safe to travel or we went, decided to drive to Arizona, you know, which would take forever from here. But you're going to feel comfortable, first of all, stopping at gas stations. I guess there's ways you can you can navigate that. But then when you get there, you know, where are you going to stay? How are you going to navigate that? What? The... You, you, you're, going to, you're going to basically walk around like the boy in the bubble and take wipes out and wipe every every surface. Probably have three people at the quick trip giving you the side eye like he's, yeah, one, of them. he's one of them. He's liberals. one of them COVID believers. And then where do you stay? I mean, last time we went there we, for my dad's 90th, we all rented a huge house and, you know, all stayed together. Well, now, unless we all do a, a test to make sure that nobody's got the virus right now, you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to hug. That's the thing is, is we have hope in a future gathering, but when? Who knows when? And how? Yeah. Do each and every one of y'all plan on becoming elected officials prior to this meeting so that y'all oh, can't yeah. be tested? That's the only way I can see that you can be assured of getting a test. Yeah, yeah like, Weekly, like basically. Trump's valet that was able to get a How's test. How's a crossover dribble? If you're an NBA star, you're going you know, to get tested. To loop this back around is, you know, the thing that, that we talked about also, my, my sister and brother and I, is we are not the only ones going through this. There's thousands of people going through this same strange probably emotionally damaging experience. I just had a, a horrible thought. You're going to have some people that are not going to be able to make all of the closure trips that are going to be required when this thing is done. You're going to have people that have a number of people they're related to or you know in their in their circle that that pass away and they're just not going to be able to take a month off and go to visit all these other other circles of friends and family you know and it's not just from the disease that was definitely no, i mean no, no, they, like these things are going to build up over the course of a year so many people die of old age and just regular everyday deaths are going to stack up, you know, for lack of a better term. But yeah, you're going to have people that in the last six months or however long this thing goes on for that are going to have numerous people that have died in their family or in their social network. And they're just not going to be able to make all of the travel required to have all that closure. Yeah. So you have to kind of put your grief on hold or... Try to figure a way to process it differently. I don't know. I mean, ah, the latter, the, the latter, a lot on your own and and virtually with with others. Although you know what, look, we both jumped in with definitive <laughs> with like, well, yeah. Yeah, let us like, tell yeah, you, yeah, Jeff. exactly. <laughs> However, <laughs> let's tell you how to agree. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You said it, and I was right along with you. We weren't really telling you or anybody else like how to do it, but it's like the whole idea of trying to hold grief in is like, ooh, that 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 ain't gonna work out well. No, no, you know? that, that's the thing we've kind of experienced too. Is this gonna come out in unexpected ways and in unexpected times? 
for a um, while for quite a while i think you know because like i say it's just we've had no sense of 3d reality of it so and I'll, I'll say this too that I've, i'm very fortunate that my sister and brother are a tight family probably grown tighter because of this well you know this whole process with my dad with his failing health and all that we've had to make all kinds of decisions together so we're lucky in the respect that there's a lot of families out there where the siblings don't get along so i can't imagine dealing with this experience plus having siblings that are at each other's throat. And that is the voice of experience because somebody 30 might not realize what a blessing that is. Hashtag blessed. Religious term. Because if it's if it's, <laughs> if it's like a lot of other situations, it brings out the long-standing either sibling rivalry or issues that never really got solved sweeping things under the rug you know just for the sake of getting along and then you know all of a sudden all those things come out and that type of bs basically interferes with your grieving process like at the time well that that's a nightmare yeah and an interesting thing too that i never thought about is my sister told me this afterwards is she was a little bit late getting to the the service she decided she wanted to get dressed up i never thought of that I was in my running shorts and t-shirt. Okay, that's a great question. What, if anything, is online funeral etiquette? Right, right. The fact that she got dressed up obviously made her feel better on some level. Yeah, I think she wanted to kind of dignify it a little bit. But that was a last-minute thought on her part, too, though. Now, y'all could not see each other, correct? Yeah, we had video off and then mics off. So really, it doesn't matter. Only... Afterwards, if you're like, oh, should I should I really have? I mean, did you did you land on it really didn't matter what I dressed like or where did you land on that? I did. um, But I appreciate for my sister that that's what she needed to make it more real to her. Like she was there. I mean, you know know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's virtually there. That is the that is the beginning of countless movies, you know, the kind of quick cut montage of people getting ready to go to a funeral. You see guys putting their jackets on and then close-ups yep. of their ties and yep, the women dark putting, right, putting on a dark dress. That's part of the ritual. Yeah. Getting getting dressed up. I've heard this for business meetings too that they're recommending that you change into something a little bit more business casual or whatever. So you're in my wheelhouse now? Right, right. That's why I was asking you. I'm going to give a big, fat, hard no to that. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) No effing way. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people at work say it, or I've read it, or it's been put on from like the business experts. Um, You should get dressed up and you should prepare for a regular day. There is no freaking difference if I'm wearing sweatpants, a pair of shorts, or my nicest work khakis. Right. I'm not on camera. You can't see me. And I will be more productive if I don't have to sit at a desk and I can walk around and let some of that energy out or multitask so I have more time to actually work as opposed to commuting, which is wasted time, like complete wasted time. So I'm more productive when 
I can work when I'm ready to work. Who gives a shit? Sorry, Don, you may feel differently. I'm right there with you. But if that works for some people, you know. You know what? If it works for some people, then by all means, have at it. Yep. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you more productive. If you need to schedule your life that way to make your time at work, because not everybody likes to work from home. If you need it, do it. But it's being passed around like this corporate gospel religious term that you need to, you know, dress like you're going to work and prepare. Like, are you not a pro? (laughs) Can you not, you know, do you need these accoutrements to be productive? No, I don't. Yeah, just don't take your laptop into the bathroom and flush. That's the main thing. That's why there's double mute. But people, some people don't understand that. Wasn't there a thing that uh, the Supreme Court, when they're doing a... Their phone thing, somebody did that. There was a flush noise. Yeah, that was this week. Yeah, I don't know if that was Ruth. No, it wouldn't have been Ruth Bader. She was in the She was in the hospital, wasn't she? Highest court in the land. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is, is So we're navigating all these new, you know, the Zoom. So that's going to be like a verb, Ooh, right? You almost said the N-word. What? Norms. The norms. Yeah, the you norms. almost said like all these new norms. <laughs> like it's not temporary. And by the way... It might not be temporary. So we don't really know what the next steps are going to be. No, we we don't. Mm-mm. I think it's going to have a huge change in a lot of people's daily lives and in, in the way that we conduct business. I can speak for myself, but I'm sure that I'm, I'm not in a unique situation where I did a job where I went into an office and did it. And we went from literally, we're going to try out working from home over the next two days to like we tried it for half a day it works great everybody start working from home tomorrow and i haven't been back to the office except to pick up equipment one time in what six weeks eight weeks now i don't even i've lost track to where this is probably going to be permanent going forward for probably half of the people that i work with in in my department are going to work from home half will go back and they'll hire another half to fill the the empty spaces for the half that's working from home and and grow that way and, and I think a lot of businesses are going to go that way. And, and it's working from home is going to be a lot more prevalent than it was. Even though it was before, it's going to be a lot more prevalent because a lot of companies that were cold to it, that have forced to have to do it, are seeing that they're just as productive from home, if not more so. I don't know if that's a net positive, though, for workers. Why, why would it not be for the workers? Well, I think it's a net positive environmentally with less cars on, on the yeah, road that, each day. That's, that's great. Uh, and a lot of other you know rippling effects from it. That's great. You're in your mid to late stages of your career, and you have worked with people in offices, in businesses, your whole career, and now you don't need that stuff. So if you're 25 or younger or 30 <laughs> and... You are. You don't have. So a generation of upcoming introverts is not going to be a good well, thing. Not, not, not introverts, but like you, you're not going to play on a company softball team, and you're not going to go for beers afterwards, and you're not going to date people. You're not going to participate and see how people. This was one of the most valuable things for me for a business is it working in a, in a business with a lot of people is seeing people at other stages of their life and. A stage that either I had been in or I was going to be in. And to be able to see that, it definitely helped me kind of level set. 
you're going to know people better when you're in the office. When you're in your 20s and 30s, that's probably way more important. And now you're going to be like me at 24 in the basement or in the spare bedroom of your apartment all the time. You, you have a fundamentally different relationship with people online than you do in person. Some people you can, if you were with them, you can hang with them, but they have a different digital style than you, and you're just not that tight with them. And that I really, I do think would, I was about to say stunt, but that would be comparing generations, which isn't really fair, but it's going to be a different world. If you were in your 20s, like our oldest son, and the prospect of the next decade being this kind of trying to figure out some new digital detached normal, man, that that could suck. That could suck. When I was going through the corporation uh, experience and all that, that's where you had your your friends. That's that's where you you know had relationships and yeah friendships. And so if you're isolated in your bedroom or whatever, you know. So where else are you going to go to meet people? Well, you could meet them online, but that's a that's just different. Yeah, yeah, that's not obviously. A, you, you, yeah, we're going away from actual human experience to cyborgs. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm not growing up in this time. Jerry, you have two kids that are they're in college right now. What are they What are they thinking? Have you talked to them about you know, like what's next for them? So I have, and I can tell you there are fewer conversations that they genuinely love more. <laughs> <laughs> then what are you going to do with your life? To get out, out of my house. I, I get concerned or am concerned, but I'm also applying rules that worked or applied more when I was in the same situation. And obviously that was a long time ago, but... I only see it getting more difficult, unfortunately. Some of the opportunities afforded to our generation are not part of the current generation. The career arc for those generations are going to be far different than ours. If you win, you're going to be making more, but there's going to be fewer winners and everybody else kind of scrapping. Yeah, navigating what industry is going to be the winner is tough. Trying to stay relevant into your years where you still need to work. What they said to us, the big promise was, quote, our peak earning years. That was your 40s and 50s. Those were your peak earning years. And ha, 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 you're 40, GTFO, reinvent yourself. So I wonder what, you know, like I've got friends at, at work whose kids are graduating from high school. All the pomp and circumstance of their senior year was yeah. gone away. You know, no prom, Yep. No graduation, drive-through graduation. And they got the sign of their neighborhood, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to drive through and get your diploma at a, at a certain time. They should be, if they're going away to college, super excited. I'm going away to college. Uh, maybe not this year. We're not yeah. sure what yeah. you're going to do. And if you do go back, it could be kind of dangerous. But, you know. It could be online college. Yeah, well... It could be an online college from the same bedroom you've been dying to escape from. Right. And if you escape from it, you might die. So there yeah. you go. 
because part of the college experience is is kind of like being rowdy and going out and drinking and uh, that's that's out for sure you know making countless mistakes and being allowed to make them who knows what their experience is going to be spencer will is technically a senior now if he graduates on time he'll probably graduate Still in the pandemic. What's his major? Political science. But it doesn't matter what his major is. Well, yeah. yeah, If you graduate into a time of Great Depression or worse level unemployment, the prospects are just going to be uniformly terrible across the board. Yeah. So what happens to kids that graduate in this and then things don't turn around until if they, you know, assuming they do. They don't turn around until they're 25 or 28 or 30. And you've been struggling until you're 30. And now things are picking up. And uh, we don't really need you anymore. We've got this crop of freshly minted college graduates. What have you been doing for the last three, five, eight years? That part really concerns me. And that's one of the things like if you're not a winner by then to enter the job market at that age when you haven't been able to keep up the skill because you're just scrapping to survive, that feels like a potential outcome for a whole generation of now kids. That part concerns me. And I don't know what you do to mitigate it. There's no hot industry. feels like you can put your eggs in two baskets. You either go into the tech world or you go totally the opposite and do something almost analog that you specialize in. But other than that, feels like you're going to be a, a, quote, essential worker drone because the economy is going to need lots of them. That's if you're going into college right now. But those of, that have already invested and figured out what their major is going to be, they're coming out of this thing is like, holy shit, is like what I majored in is not a part of the economy that's going to be going for a number of years yet. So, yeah, how do you navigate that? I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, if you're going in, into college, now, even going into college right now, you know, the people that just graduated high school is like, so what are the winners and losers in our economy for the next couple of years? Hmm. Is even going into college now a, a good idea? Well, yeah, I mean, because the other thing is, is a lot of them, you know, would, would work part-time jobs like in a restaurant, which are pretty much non-existent. So, you know, how are they going to be able to even pay for college? Is Signing up for thousands of dollars of debt, a good idea at, at this juncture in a 18-year-old's life. Yeah. If you're not going to do that, you better have a plan. You better have a different plan where you're putting all your eggs in some higher risk basket or something that you love to do so much that you are willing to roll with the economic punches because it's what you want to do. And these are heavy conversations for an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old or, you know, 19-year-old kid. So to answer the question that started this thread of the conversation, I have talked to them about it. And I try to talk to them as opposed to talking at them. I'm sure they don't feel that's the case. (laughs) But I, I want to get them to think about it, either I'm not communicating it well enough to where they can't think about it, or they're like, this is the last thing I want to think about because you're old and I don't want to think about it. I mean, you think about when you were that age. I couldn't imagine having that kind of a heavy you know, weight on your shoulders. It's like, I would definitely want to put those kind of things off as best I could as well. But I try to preface these conversations with, you know, I, I 
I know you hate these conversations. But this is reality. Because because I like I was your age and I hated having them. Yeah. So you walk into the kitchen and you just see their eyes roll. Like, oh shit. No, like, you know, I'll be in the kitchen and they'll walk in and we'll do fifteen seconds of small talk and then BAM here comes the heavy dad (laughs) conversation. Really, if you if you know the the real the real parental dick move is to lull them into doing something like helping cook or doing something where they're st- where they're stuck there, <laughs> and I bring them in, hey, how was your day conversation, or, you know, what the latest TikTok they saw, and then as soon as they start chopping onions or getting into something, it's like, I gotcha. You Heavy got conversation it. time. I'm going to turn Dad. the music down. It's exactly, you know. I know I, you, I hated these conversations when I was your age. As soon as you hear when I was your age, click. Both of their ears turn off. But, you know, on a certain level, they have to understand the gravity of this world that we're in right now. No, they don't. They're not watching the news or no. they're just doing the TikToks? Uh, they're, they're not watching the news. Well, nor was I at that age either. Kids that age, you had to steal the paper from dad or actually sit down at 6.30 to watch the national newscast, which most kids didn't do, at least. They've got access to more information they know how to process. But... It is kind of normal for them. It's hard to explain to somebody who has lived through as much stupid shit that they've lived through that now is some terrible anomaly. I mean, it is, but it's not that different for them. It's way more different for us, right? So so they're not they're not quite grasping the gravity then. Uh, you'd have to define gravity. Do they think things are messed up? They do. But what I'm talking about is so the virus thing is a Hopefully we have a vaccine in 2021, hopefully. But I don't know if that's going to really change the landscape of the economy. So as as they cycle through college and all that, it's like, so what kind of job are they looking for that's going to actually be there? They're not thinking that yet or? No, because it is kind of a heavy conversation to think about when you're in college. You're just trying to pass and and and, you know you may think about your first job but you know when we thought about a first job it didn't feel like nearly as momentous like you could switch gears or if you picked wrong you had some ability to make up or switch businesses or switch professions Yeah. yeah none of us went through job search in a depression and that's what they're facing No. And if you put all your eggs in technology's basket and you can't find a decent job in tech, what are you going to do all of a sudden? Right. Right. And you can't go into the service industry. You're not going to work at Starbucks. The good or decent gigs, the middle class gigs are drying up fast. So you're either one of the lucky ones or mm, I wouldn't want to think about that if I was 21. No. uh -uh. I'm getting depressed right now. Yeah, you brought it up too, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, we're, it doesn't seem like we're going to get to the National Day of Superstition, which is probably okay because it sucked. Well, yeah, that was a nice little lead in there. Okay. Well, I didn't know today. Sorry, National Day of Prayer. I saw a blurb on Channel 2 News in the morning and they talked about the national day of prayer and they ran your standard tv vo they did a shot of kemp and they did a shot of a church and then a church choir where was this where did you see this on channel two on wsb 
in like okay. the the morning news before Good Morning America, and I was like, man, they have this National Day of Prayer, and they are not even hiding the fact that it is this is Christian. Oh, yeah, it's a National Absolutely. Day of Prayer. They don't yeah. show a mosque. They don't show a synagogue. They don't show. They didn't show anything but like. Straight up hardcore Christian churches, like that's exactly why they think they own everything, is oh, because they do. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, if you read um, uh, Trump's proclamation, it's all <sighs> the Christian God. He has no pretension about you know. Is like all religions. It's all Christian. But Melania said we need to we save room for God in our life, and we keep room for God in our life, like that. I, I want to hear advice for you on anything. Well, and he's done such a great job with the corona thing, so, you know. Part of the reason kids can't comprehend it, because not only is it terrible, but it's been a catastrophic failure and abdication of any type of leadership or the idea of public good. Fuck it. States are on their own, and everyone's on their own. You warriors, you go out and take one for the economy. That's the message that they're hearing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Trump gets a daily test and his uh, valet gets a daily test. So they're good. Okay. We said we weren't going to go there. So. Oh, oh, okay. We, you know, I guess we couldn't, uh, we couldn't avoid our fate. Religious term. It was meant to be. Just couldn't stop from (laughs) dipping your toe in the pool. Don, how can, how can people tell us what we got wrong and disagree with us? They can email us. That'd be the best way. Email us at (laughs) godlessheathens at yahoo.com. Reach out to Jimmy, the salty social media intern at Godless Podcast on on Twitter. Other than that, uh, we're we're actually we're gonna decrease our social media footprint. I am shutting down the uh, the YouTube channel. Get really cut into the pod revenue. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, although it was nice to open up that bottle of champagne when we did have that one episode that got demonetized. <laughs> although we have made nothing from from you i mean a, a big fat zero on on total youtube income the amount of time that it takes to uh, just to create the video with with the logo and upload it and everything for the amount of views that we're getting and interaction we're getting on it's it's just so so, so unfortunately I'm you, you're telling a down. long story on a on a failure for the pod yeah we should be saying you know we we know youtube we didn't fail youtube youtube failed us they didn't treat the show with the proper deference and algorithm boosting placement, that, you know what? So screw YouTube. That's why we drop YouTube. We did. They, they didn't drop. We didn't drop them. You know, they didn't do enough for us. We're dropping you. Yeah, fuck YouTube. <laughs> Coming from the king of YouTube. Seventy-five <laughs> percent of your links are YouTube links. I I'm very careful about the ones I share, though. That's what they all say. He watches a lot of TV. I'm going to come to his defense. He watches a lot of TV yeah. through YouTube. Yeah, like Colbert. He watches Colbert through YouTube. Jimmy he Kimmel. watches yeah. John Oliver through yeah, YouTube. I he watches it, a I lot can, of... You know, I, I, I can quit at any time. It doesn't control me. I can quit anytime right, I want. Right, right. I can turn yep. YouTube I'm off not and not man. start my day with YouTube anytime. I don't need to quit. Who are you to tell me? Did right. I get it all? Hell yeah. I'm going to give you a 30-second recommendation. I thought Into the Night on Netflix was awesome. It was kind of escapist, like Lost uh, meets Walking Dead, but just this 
totally kind of off the wall. Basically, the sun is killing everybody. Into the Night is the name of it? Into the Night. On Netflix. On Netflix. Here's the short, super short synopsis. The sun is killing people. So there is a group of mismatched souls on an airplane flying in the dark, trying to stay one step ahead of the light and try to figure out how they can live in a world that the sun kills everything. This is a movie this or is a, this is a this series? Is a series. And they're not very long. The episodes are not very long, but it's total escapist TV. Tons of twists. As you can imagine, when you stick 20 or so people in a stressful situation in a plane where they can't leave, there's all kinds of interpersonal issues. But I thought it was great and don't expect anything, but it, you know, deep, but it's a, it's kind of a wild ride. I love so that. No money back guarantee. Right. I put my stamp of recommendation on it for whatever that's worth. All right. I'll give a, a quick, rare, double stamp of recommendation for The Plot Against America. That was your uh, recommendation on the last episode. Yeah, watch and that. I watched that, only, like I said, only six episodes. I, I feel like that's just an itch that's barely getting scratched. I, I really would like to see that thing, not just another seven episodes or so to, to fill out a, a full season, but I'd like to see where they would go with this you know, in, in future seasons. But that book. Is your book? Yeah. That's yeah. That, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but that's so just like the leftovers. That's the end of the book. So, have you read the book? No. Uh, Jeff, you read books. We recommend books. TV shows and podcasts. That's our part. I'm, I'm the book guy. Yeah. I don't read as much as I would like, but that is the end of the book. So, the leftovers was an unequivocal win post book, but that's not easy. Yes. That was one of the reasons why I never watched the second and third season is because I read the book, liked the book, watched the first season, and did not want to walk away with a bad taste in my mouth. And then you realize the mistake you made. And was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. Yes. Although, going into it, it, it had been long enough that I had read enough reviews and stuff that knew that the second and third season were, were a hit. So there you go. Jeff, you have no recommendations? So Bart Ehrman has a book out called Heaven and Hell. Kind of ties into our earlier conversation. Kind of talks about the history of the afterlife. So I'm about halfway through it, and I'd highly recommend it. Nice. And then as far as um, invites, we need to get figured out how to have Tom back on. He needs to get a microphone, if that's what it takes, whatever, you know. Because his church supposedly is meeting in person now. Yeah, we need to yeah, talk to Tom. Yeah, we need to talk about that. It's like, how are you doing that? Tom's like, yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah. What was enough? We know Jesus isn't coming. We know Andy Stanley's not coming. So we need to get Tom back on. All right, okay. next week, That's make it. it happen. All right, we can, yeah. We'll, we'll work we'll on it. send him a mic. And we'll see you all in two weeks. Bye. Good night. Godzilla is my friend. Godzilla is my friend. Wherever I go, Godzilla, go, Godzilla is my friend.
Me? Well, someone met at a party and the devil is my friend. Yeah, the devil is my friend. 